to Behind of the Pulpit Podcast, episode 30. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast. Future Tim here. So we actually recorded this episode quite a while back and just kept it in the vault. We decided to go ahead and release it now, but I wanted you to know that this was recorded several months ago. You're going to hear that I'm recording from sunny San Diego. Most of you know if you've been listening, I don't live in San Diego anymore. I'm not back visiting. I'm also going to hear Ryan say it's snowing in Portland. It's not snowing in August in Portland. We recorded this months ago. Also, refer to me or hear me refer to my youth group. That's from back in San Diego. We recognize that things lately have been a little inconsistent as far as the episode release. Several things have just kind of all lined up in each of our lives that have made it difficult for us to all get together at the same time and record. We think we have a lot of these things figured out and you can start to expect a more regular episode release. We really appreciate all of you who've hung in there with us for over a year now. And for those of you that are just now coming on board, welcome. From sunny San Diego, this is Tim Lucas. And from Portland, Oregon, where it is currently snowing, our research expert, Mr. Research himself, the one, the only, the Ryan Goff. How's it up there in Ryan? Oh, my word. It's Frigidaire in Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, Minnesota. <laughs> this is going to be an uh, interesting episode. Um, yeah, that's and, okay. It's good. It's cold. Yeah. It's... uh. And I think that that a uh, really nice introduction must be because Mr. Nigel's not I was here, just going to say right? poor Mr. Nigel is not able to join us due to work schedule or preaching or I don't know. He's get so famous. Um I just, we're just going to be hard for us to nail him down, I guess. I don't know. Um does that mean we're getting famous because he's no, famous? No, I don't think so. It <laughs> oh, well, We can yes. hope. We'll just try to ride his <laughs> coattails. So this is going to be an interesting episode because honestly, we're not really uh, prepared for it. We had prepared for an interview, a very exciting interview, but due to technical difficulties completely beyond his control, we were not able to record with him. And so we are trying to, we're just going to talk and hopefully it's not too off the wall. Um, But we have a couple things to talk about that I think is going to still produce a good episode. And actually, I also have an interview that I recently recorded in the field. That's right. You'll even hear some background noise. It's with Brother Wallace. Um, he's a missionary to France, and he was at our church not too long ago. And so while he was here, I interviewed him, uh, a short interview. Um, we want to share that with you. Ryan, I wish you could have been here. We could have all done it together and Nigel, but it wasn't that way. But I'm glad I was able to... Uh... I'm glad I was able to listen to it. I appreciated it because my ultimate goal is to plant a church and I love getting insight into those, uh, by those who have done it, uh, and not just done it, but are having results. Um, so I cherish anything that I can get from that. So uh, I really enjoyed it and I think, uh, you will enjoy it as well. Yeah. And he, he is currently about to become a foreign missionary or a, sorry, global missionary. Previously, he was a home missionary slash North America missionary. He it was at that time it was home missionary. So he was a church planner and he did it in Quebec, which for the longest time, I remember even at Bible school when Brother Kuhn came, he talked to us about how that was the great unchurched uh, city in North America that he felt a strong, strong burden for. Um, it was a very difficult city as he as he talked about. Um, so before we keep talking about it, we're just going to let you hear it and then we'll come back and, and talk about it a little more. 
today I had the privilege in church of having Brother Kevin Wallace with us, and so I stopped him to ask him just a couple questions before he heads out. Uh, Brother Wallace has been involved both with home missions, involved with Bible school, and foreign missions, so he has a wealth of knowledge for us. Um, we're so glad you took a minute to uh, talk to us, Brother Wallace. Sure. Yes. Um, now, after you left Bible school, you went almost right into home missions. How did you feel that call and uh, feel that that was the Lord's will for you? It was... Um After Bible school, I was assisting actually my third year, my second semester, we were attending Bible college and I was commuting. I was actually assisting in a church. But as I was doing the work of ministry in that church, I kept feeling a burden for the Francophone community. And that would mean French speaking people of the world. And we were introduced to that when we were students in Bible college through the weekend ministry trips. And so in particular, I kept feeling a stronger burden. It started out small. It kept growing and growing, and the burden never left. And so it probably was approximately a year and a half after we graduated from Bible college that I took my wife and she and I, we went to Quebec City and it was there that we were involved in home missions, but with extra challenges. The reason being it was French only. It's over a million people in that area. French only. There was culture shock, of course. It was called Little Paris, so it had a European feel. And the nearest United Pentecostal Church in any direction was at least three hours drive in any direction. So it was there that both our daughters were born and we were involved in, in home missions or now North American missions in Quebec City. And now we have Sister Melinda Frost, who has just been uh, chosen to be Metro Evangelist for Quebec City. And she's actually traveling around deputizing for North American missions to be on site as a Metro Evangelist in Quebec City. That's, a, that's amazing. Now, in home missions, so often your ministry kind of rides or, or sinks based on your personal evangelism efforts. Um, so what have you found for you? I know everybody's different, but what's been the most effective evangelist, evangelism method for you? For me, if it was starting a work, my gifting, if you look at Ephesians 4 and 11, is definitely more teaching. So uh, teaching home Bible studies, one-on-one communicating, whether it's a formal home Bible study or more just opening and sharing the Word of God. If it's starting a work, if it's doing one-on-one evangel- uh, evangelization, as far as leader of a church, pastoring-wise, for me, again, it was being able to minister the Word of the Lord um, trying to preach, in other words, in my teaching, to, to preach while I'm teaching, and when I'm preaching, try to teach, and so be involved in that. The, the delivery of the Word, but again, that's me as a teacher. Um, and so, of course, we're very much about connecting with people. So we would, even as pastoring, we had a home that we had at one point, we had 85 or 90 people in our home from the church because we'd have them over. So it's all about connecting uh, on a family level, a fellowship, not just delivering the word, but connecting with people and getting to know them. So it's all about, uh, it's all about having people in your life, whether formally or informally. A coffee shop, I love coffee. Do a lot of, lot of uh, talking to people, Bible studies and coffee shops. I th- that's my second office, actually. So maybe my primary office. So. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we've mentioned about Bible studies and coffee shops frequently on here. It's also interesting. The last missionary we interviewed also said the primary evangelism method they used and found to be successful was home Bible studies. So listen up. Home Bible studies win souls. Um, 
One more question. I don't want to keep you long. I know it's time to go fellowship with with the pastor and, and eat, and so I definitely don't want to hinder you from that. But you've been involved heavily in teaching in Bible schools, so you've got a, a little bit better view of maybe some of the guys who started out great and then were just a flash in the pan, and some guys who really stuck it out who maybe didn't seem to be the ones you'd expect. What have you found to be just some of the keys as a young minister that really makes you long-term successful? Uh, definitely, I'm very much a proponent of Christian education, so definitely Bible college. But if you, one cannot attend a formal uh, Bible college, at least, I think to be have a lifetime desire to be a perpetual student. To I think that one of the greatest skills that we're losing today in society because of little short video bites and, and things is to be a reader. You have to be able, and that doesn't mean just because... You've got to be able to assimilate the information. You've got to, it's going to become part of you. Take notes. My problem is my memory. So if I can make notes, but if I can't access the notes years later, what good is it to me? So it's having some way of being able to, to be able to allow it to become part of me because that's the danger now with, uh, of course, uh, in the 21st century with the postmodern world is our attention span. I think the statistics used to say that one could keep their, the attention span is around 45 minutes. That's why in the school system, a lot of times you'll have a period a length would be around 45 minutes and have a 15 minute break but it's sad to say now i think the statistics say it's around 10 minutes and so because of smartphones media different things our attention span has 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 dropped but the goal is relationship with the lord jesus christ your prayer life your study time because it's those things that you do alone in the private that makes the difference when you are ministering in public because if not uh it's not enough just to find a sermon on the internet anyone can find a sermon it's the whole thing that you've got to you got to flesh it out yourself. You've got to study it out yourself and hear from God. So I think for young ministers, because if not, uh, a lot of things, of course, with Pentecost, we are very uh, emotional or emotive people. We love to express our emotions. We're made that way. But it's not just the hoopla and it's not just the, you know, having the pom-poms for Jesus and getting excited is going to do the work. The old expression, you got to have corn in the crib and so there has to be something there so being a people of content studying seeking god getting direction because we all can get excited but when we get excited we need to have something to say to minister to other people ministers if you, if you study it out a minister means a servant uh as i believe the greek, the greek word is and so it means one uh word for servant or minister is an under rower so even in the slave galleys in the roman in the roman empire the slave galleys the slaves were the under rowers and so when we are ministers we are are working together and literally we are doing a job it's not about being uh, up uh, I, I mentioned a lot of times sh- holding the the shiny black uh cordless microphone it's not who has the microphone is a minister the one who is willing to be a servant is a minister for the gospel Brother Wallace, now before I let you go, um, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, maybe to partner with you financially, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, one way would be to like our Facebook page. It's Wallace Mission, and that's singular, M-I-S-S-I-O-N, Wallace Mission France. Or also, we do have uh, our Global Missions account. You can go to globalmissions.org forward slash Wallace. And finally, our email is Wallace Missions. That's uh, plural, Wallace Missions at gmail.com. 
All right, and we will link to each one of those links in our show notes. Thank you so much, Brother Wallace. Best of luck, and we'll keep, definitely be keeping you in our prayers and hopefully hear from you again. Thank you. As we say in French, que le Seigneur vous bénisse, which means may God bless you. Wow, that was... Uh, <clears throat> I really wish... I wish I could have been there because uh, he sounds like a great man. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to hear him preach yet. Uh, hopefully, he'll make his way up here into the great Northwest. I really enjoyed the fact that he truly believes in the power of home Bible studies or coffee shop Bible studies, uh, that that is really how you grow a solid church because uh, I believe that yeah. uh, with all of my being right now, um, it is becoming more and more yeah. evident to me that that is what this generation needs is that connection that you get in a home Bible study. Um, and obviously just, you know, his reiterating the fact that, yeah. you know, always being a learner that, uh, yeah. leaders are readers, um, and having that dedicated prayer life, things that we've spoken about in previous, uh, episodes. Yeah. Yeah, you'd almost think he was just summarizing our podcast. I mean, that's all we ever talk about. <laughs> Teach. Yeah. No, and no, read no. a lot. It is that easy. It's just not simple. Teach Bible studies, pray a lot, and read a lot. And you're well on your way to a great ministry. And speaking of continuing your education, something I've been doing um, recently is going on YouTube. I'm watching this series of seminary classes. It's non-Pentecostal, uh, but it's very, very good. And... It's uh, specifically, this one is from the Master's Seminary. It's here in California, and it's run by a preacher named John MacArthur. John MacArthur is is well known for his expository preaching. He just really, really gifted in that. And so, this these classes I've watched, I've finished one class. I'm on my second class now that I'm going through. And the first one was on the mechanics of expository preaching. This one now is expository preaching through Psalms. And it's just, it's so so good. And they talk about why expository preaching is is beneficial. It's so true. You guys have heard me say this before on the podcast about music, how I want my music to be biblically true and theologically accurate. I want my preaching the same way. I think I might've mentioned that on the podcast too, that I can't stand listening to preachers who are not preaching the Bible. At first, if the, if the sermon they're preaching isn't consistent with the Bible, but even more than that, I really don't like when a preacher takes a scripture and twists it to make it say something, even if what hit where he ends up, his final point does line up with other biblical teaching. And so what he's saying is right. If he gets there by using scripture out of context, I really dislike that. I also dislike where the majority of his uh, proofs or his supporting facts are personal opinion, logic, because, and I prayed about this. I was like, God, am I crazy? Right? Am I the one who's just being over nitpicky saying that it, the Bible should act, you know, we should actually preach the way the Bible says, you know, because the Jews, a lot of rabbis, they take the scripture completely out of context and make some crazy analogy that, that I don't see a metaphor. And they even say there's a level of mm-hmm. interpreting the scripture that the common person cannot see. To me, that sounds a lot like the medieval Catholic church. Um, but you know, I guess far be it for me to equate Pharisaical, I mean Orthodox Jews, yeah, you, uh, <laughs> to the Catholic Church. I wanna... uh, I'm just burning a bunch of bridges here, aren't I? <laughs> but um, <laughs> make everybody mad. But I, I was praying. I was praying about it, and I felt like God said no because what a preacher rests his sermon on the, the proofs he uses. He's saying that's the strongest proof he has. So if if logic 
which we should be logical. God gave us logic. Um, if personal stories, if that's the, the foundation of his message, if that's what he's saying proves his message, then that's what he values the most. And that's what he feels is the strongest proof. So I think our sermons should be biblically based, mm-hmm. biblically supported. And then that is, that's all we have to say. I don't have anything to say except what the Bible says. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Ryan, am I just one on one another, another tangent rant that I always get on personal pet peeve? <laughs> You're always on one of those, but that's yeah. okay. Cause that's who you are. That's yeah. I love you. <laughs> right. Uh, <clears throat> but no, I think, uh, I think expository preaching is not emphasized enough. Yeah. Um, cause you know, we like the, and I can't believe I'm going to use this term, but the glitz and the glamour of having that, that amazing title and right. that, you know, that, um, that awesome punchline that, that draws everybody. And I'm not saying that that's bad, right? Uh, because, you know, I've preached that way and I've heard some amazing messages that way, but I think there isn't enough expository preaching where you're just, Going through the scriptures. Right. Pulling things out, growing. That's what they did. You know, that's, that's what it's there for. Um, yeah. How can we teach better than the Bible? Yeah. Find a, find a sermon in the Bible that wasn't found, founded on, but on the Bible. They preached right. the Old Testament and. But, uh, you know, the, the, the problem, the, the one hard part, cause uh, I did have a pastor. Uh, my pastor growing up was an expository preacher. He would sit, he would pull. Now, Wednesday Bible studies basically was like studying a book and working your way through that book. Same yeah. with Sunday morning Bible study. Yeah. When he was preaching, it was more of him pulling a set of scriptures, like either one chapter out of Corinthians or a mm-hmm. chapter out of the Old Testament. Um, and just working through that chapter, not really book by book. But yeah. kind of how where he felt led and just taking that scripture and using it. Now, the only issue that I had when I was a kid, and maybe it's because I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have, was that it was just really dry. I mean, I don't know how to – because it doesn't have to be. No. Um, I uh, Yeah. It, does, it, it doesn't have to be by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But with him, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just because I was a kid, it was just kind of, you know, it was just <laughs> it was boring sometimes. I yeah. Mean, but and it that's, was great the, that's teaching. the danger is, and this is what, that's one thing that, um, the, the class I'm on right now, or the one I just finished mechanics of expository preaching. And you know, what? I'll link to that in our show notes. Um, so if you are interested, it's like a 12 or 13 class playlist and each class is about an hour and a half, an hour 45. So it's, you're not going to get through it in a day. But one of the things he says in this class is he said, it's not expository preaching. If it's dry, he said, that's expository teaching or expository lecturing. He's like, and there's a time for that. But hmm. expository preaching must be emotionally engaging, intellectually engaging. And it's the importance. And they talk about too, they said, you know, if you if all you engage is the mind, you haven't preached. You've mm-hmm. taught. But preaching must go to the heart. Now he said, all too often, preachers skip the mind and go to the heart. That's where we have emotionalism and that is just as bad. That's why people don't change because mm-hmm. their emotions are tickled. That's why people will go to a youth service or I mean a, a youth convention have very hyped up emotions, but they're not intellectually changed. They're not spiritually engaged. It's all emotion. And so they'll leave after being crying in the altar and then go out and, you know, 
climb in the backseat of a car because their emotions were engaged. They're in a heightened state of emotions. They go out and they continue in that heightened state of emotions. Um, but, Mm -hmm. but it's so important for us to not do either one, to not just engage the intellect or the emotions. Spurgeon said the mind is the foyer of the sanctuary of the heart. And so you have to go through the mind to get to the heart to change people. And that's the biblical method. And, and I, I, I agree with that. And he talks about the importance of it. And it takes time to learn, but that you can't just say, you know, the Greek word means this and the historical context is this and okay. And leave. No, that's not preaching. That's teaching. Teaching is just an information dump and that's important, but preaching has to have the application. So here's the information. And based on that information, you need to do this. And you know, how is your life and, and take it from just here's information to this applies to you. Um, and I really like that. The, the things I'm learning. Let's see, you just held up a book in the camera here. Yeah. Ryan. What book is that? I bought uh, this book. I think I'm pretty sure I bought it at um, general conference one year, uh, but it's called biblical preaching. Oh, and it's actually the second, but it's the development and delivery of expository messages. It's pretty good. I, I haven't read it all the way through yet, but uh, just talking to you makes me want to makes um this will be my next book that I read after I read these other two books. Yeah, um, and and one of the things too that I think is so important that especially as Pentecostals we do not do, and I need to do more of it, but is read good sermons, not just listen to them, but read them. Especially people that are known for their good preaching, like Spurgeon. Spurgeon is probably he's called the Prince of Preachers. Incredible sermons. D. L. Moody read his sermons, read, um, read some of the Stephen Lawson. I, he, he actually right now is probably my favorite non-Pentecostal preacher. Um, even more than John MacArthur. I like John MacArthur, but his, his, Stephen Lawson just is the best that I'm listening to right now. And I love his stuff. Um, read those sermons and that will, that will impact your sermons. Also then, as you study through the, the books of the Bible and, and pick a book and work your way through it and write mm-hmm. sermons, even if you don't have the opportunity to preach right now. And I know some people absolutely hate that. They think you shouldn't write a sermon until you have a place to preach it. I don't agree with that. Now, you write the sermon for whatever, it's going to have to be changed based on the audience, the occasion you're preaching. It. But to have that framework there, first of all, it's going to make, you're going to have more time to devote to getting ready for preaching if you already have a framework and it's going to help you as you work through that, you're going to get better and better at it. There's nothing like preaching to get, to make you better at preaching. Right. You know, and that's one of the things that um, Dr. Stephen Lawson was talking about. He said, you know, I think our preachers don't preach enough nowadays. Mm-hmm. He preaches four times every single week. And Who's that? Stephen Lawson, Lawson. And Stephen that's not Lawson. counting preaching out. He says, I preach out most weeks, but he says, I, I, every single week I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, wow. midweek service and a Friday morning men's Bible study. Now he said, that's not uh, preaching, but I still have to have a, something organized. And, you know, and he says that when he first started doing expository preaching out of seminary, it would take him 25 hours per sermon on average. Now he's down to about 10 hours per sermon. Wow. You know, and so, but, but when you have a high view of the word of God and a high view of the pulpit, that's not out of the ordinary to me. And that's, that's one thing I was listening to him talk and just, I got this sense of, he was talking about, um, the privilege it is to preach. And I just, all of a sudden God's presence just moved in and I started just crying and thinking about the privilege it is 
to share God's word. I mean, we get so accustomed to it, but God's word, God's word is flowing through me and I get to be a vessel to extend God's kingdom to people. And that's such a privilege. And I think sometimes we take it too lightly. Oh, definitely. You know, and it should be a fearful thing. Because in the Old Testament, God said, if you say, I said something and I didn't say it, that's a big, big deal. And don't be saying you had a dream from me if I didn't give you a dream. Um, and that was one of the problems Jesus had or God had with the old, some of the Old Testament false prophets. So I think I definitely, I need to take a higher view of the pulpit. And if you do, you have a high view of the pulpit, high view of the word of God. You naturally are going to preach an expository style message that now we do have to be careful because some people make a distinction between expository and topical. It's not Mm -hmm. saying topical is wrong, but your topical sermon needs to be expository. Expository just means explaining the Bible. If your sermon is, is not just explaining the Bible, now, you can use personal stories to explain the Bible, the point. You can use other things, but if, if it's more than just explaining the Bible, then you're not preaching. If you're just telling, well, I look at this and I think, you know, my opinion on this political leader, well, that's not preaching. Mm-hmm. That's just you spouting off because you have a captive audience. And I don't think there's any place for that. If you have a high view of the pulpit, you will not degrade the pulpit to just sharing your personal opinions. Yep, I agree. You know, the, that's one thing I don't want to do. Yeah. Is ever take that for granted. I'm trying to pull up. I have some notes. Oh, here we go. That I, um, I'm going to read from real quick. So this one actually is from John MacArthur. He was teaching a seminary class on the fundamentals of expository preaching. And he said some things that were just so moving to me. And he was talking about the dangers of doing things, uh, of preaching non-expository sermons. And he says some of his statements are very strong. And I'm not sure I would, con- I would say them quite as strong as he did. But some of them are, are things like preaching a non-expository sermon demonstrates pride and a lack of submission to scripture. And he said, sometimes when I listen to other preachers, I just want to stand up and scream, you aren't the man with all the answers. Just stop and give me the word of God. And I'm like, amen, brother. I'm right there with you. Um, He says, it severs the preacher personally from the regular sanctifying work of the scripture. Because as ministers, we are still just believers. And so we still need to be sanctified. The process of, Mm -hmm. of becoming holy. And so, if, if we're not in the word, that, that's how we're washed. The Bible says we're washed by the washing of the word. word. And um, he said, it, uh, oh, this is so, I, I'm going to go on a little bit of a, this lines so much of, up with some of the things that I'm passionate about. He said, not, preaching non-expository sermons removes spiritual depth and transcendence from the people and cripples worship. It is important to understand that worship does not just mean music. But it does include music. Superficial understanding of scripture produces superficial worship and shallow understanding leads to shallow worship. And then he talked about this book. And this is a book that I want to get. I haven't read it, but he was summarizing. It's called The Juvenilization of Christianity. And it talks about how back um, a few decades ago, they, they noticed that we were really losing a lot of teenagers that as soon as they went off to college, they would backslide. So they started thinking, how can we gear church more towards these young people and engage them? So they started doing what he calls juvenile church, like youth church, you know, youth service. And, but the problem is that over time that creeped up and now we basically do youth service in the big church. And he, um, see, I'm, I'm going to quote, he says, so many of us wear clothes that teenagers, or as far as preachers, so many 
preachers wear clothes that teenagers should wear, preachers trying to look as much like a teeny bopper rock star as he can. The music we sing is the kind that appeals to teenagers. We need to do adult church. We need to think deeply, reverently. We need to dress like adults, act like adults, reason like adults. That's why we sing hymns and songs that have depth and richness and that are theologically sound. We don't, I'm still quoting, we don't need 7-Eleven songs, seven words, 11 times. This is adult church. Stop playing junior high church and driving away all the mature people who want an adult church. We don't think deeply enough. We don't think historically enough. We don't think theologically enough. Um, and so, th- this concept that theology is tied to depth of worship is so profound. And that if a church has shallow worship, it's because they have shallow theology. And, and something else he said later, I'm not going to read through all my notes, but he said, you know, the, the way a preacher preaches is how his people are going to study the Bible. And so, if you preach just jumping around here and there and ju- or everywhere and taking things out of context, that's how they're going to learn to s- interpret the Bible. That's not how I want my people to interpret the Bible. You know, and so, right. but when you preach expositorily, it teaches them to interpret it that way, consistent with what the Bible's saying. That I can't just say, make the Bible say whatever I want, but I have to make it say what it says. Um, and that's what gives them a depth theologically, which then gives them a depth in worship. Right. Rant over. <laughs> New rant soon to begin. <laughs> yes. Rant, this rant may be over. That does not preclude me from starting a new one in the near future. We should call this the, we should call this the, the Timothy rant episode. The rant episode. <laughs> um, now, Ryan, you were telling me about how Philippians has really just become so real to you recently, and you've kind of been focusing on that. Um, why don't you t- tell me a little bit more about that? My profession, as uh, I mentioned before, is nursing. And unfortunately, nursing hasn't had the greatest effect on me personally. Uh, in fact, I hate to say it, but if I had to do it all over again, I don't know that I would choose it for this for this very reason. But I get fixated on things that could potentially, I'm air quoting, go wrong. It's been an off and on thing with me. And it's it's the thing that I don't like about it is that it's gotten me to question my my faith at certain points in my life. And I've been doing... um better with that. Recently, some things have come up where uh, I've been getting tested again. And I've been dealing, and I'm just going to be transparent, is I've just been dealing with anxiety. And I've been praying about it and uh, seeking God's word. And the other day, uh, we were out shopping with my brother and, and his wife and their little boy. And I saw this guy walking. And I, I'm sure, Tim, you will uh, attest to this, that Probably one of the most misquoted scriptures. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, and that's actually not the verse or the sec- the chunk of verses that I've been focusing on, but I actually saw it tattooed on the back of a guy's calf uh, walking out of Panera Bread. And uh, I saw Philippians 4.13 tattooed on his, on his uh, calf. And it was funny, it... You know, I I recognized that that was the scripture. Uh, I looked it up, and I don't know why. In the when I've been going through this, I haven't looked to Philippians uh, up to this point. But I just thought, you know what? I'm thinking I'm going to read the whole scripture, or read the whole chapter. And uh, I started reading, and I got to Philippians four six. It says, "Be careful for nothing." 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I've said many times, the peace that passes all understanding. Of course, I'm misquoting it because I'm not saying it correctly, but this getting the same gist. But that scripture before it, Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. Or in other words, in the, I'll read the English Standard Version, said this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To not be anxious. And man, when I read that, it it brought tears to my eyes. I just, I, I, I it kind of hit me like, why am I having so much anxiety over these things that I cannot control? When I serve the one who is in control and that whole chapter, because then, you know, it continues on and it gives you things to think about whatever's true. Think on whatever's honorable, things that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable. Anything that's worthy of praise or anything that's excellent, think about these things. And not only that, but practice these things, and the God of peace will be with me. And in Philippians 4.4, 4, before this even starts, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul, how he always does so well, didn't stop there. He says, because again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I've just been been getting these scriptures locked into my heart uh, so that way when that anxiety, um, that fear tries to well up in me, build up in me, I can take these scriptures and I can push out that fear and push out that anxiety by building that faith and by taking these things to pr- but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, knowing, I can be thankful knowing that God is listening. All right, so we got cut off there, so I have no response. Um, But I recently preached a message to our young people here in youth service that I was a little nervous preaching it. I felt very strongly the Lord wanted me to preach it, but I felt like it was a little too deep for them. It was expository message. I felt very strongly that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I wasn't sure if they would follow that normally. You know, as with any young person, you really have to work to keep their attention. But I was completely wrong. It was, I could, I, that's, I preached the way I would normally preach it to an adult um, audience. And they were so engaged. And I preached on the rich man and Lazarus in hell and just went straight through, you know, um, compared the two, I went verse by verse, you know, he, this is the rich man. This is what he was like. And then here's the the poor man. And this is what he was like. And, and then, you know, they had, and so my catchy title, I never come up with great titles, but this time I, I think it was the Lord he gave me. And it was um, two men, two deaths, two destinations. And I'm just like, that was good. Yeah, I guess I've been around my pastor long enough because he comes up with the best alliterated tech uh, messages or whatever or uh, titles. And so I preached that. And, you know, normally in youth service, we have about half of the kids respond. It's not always the same half, but about half respond and half don't. Um, and this time every single one was crying. And I even, I even felt to let them 
and, I, and so kind of short all to call what I didn't even call them up. I let them pray in their seats. And then, um, but I said, you guys are dismissed. If any of you want to leave, you're welcome to, you can go upstairs and play or, you know, your games or whatever you want to do. But if you want to stay and pray, you're welcome to stay and pray. I'm going to stay and pray because I need to pray. And every single one of them stayed and prayed. Nobody left. And we prayed. And then one of the other youth staff felt to say something and she shared. And then and it was very, just a great response. But that, you know, just that simple presentation of the word of yeah. God, it works for young people too. And so often I think we underestimate the capacity right. of our congregation, whether it's youth or adults. So often I think, oh, this is too deep for people. But no, that's what they want. That's what people are craving. They want the word that's of right. God, you know? Yeah. And, and the Bible talks about a time when there's a famine of the word of God. And I think we live in that time because we more now than ever, we preach, not we, me and our preachers necessarily, but as, as Christianity as a whole, we preach feel good sermons that could, are no different from a self-help message with Jesus thrown in there. People are not longing for that. What people really want is the word of God. They're hungry for the word of God. And that's what we've got to give them. And there's another point in that lecture I was going through that that he said, he said, the failure to do expositional preaching reduces the preacher's word to the level of everyone else's word. If it isn't truly, thus saith the Lord, the audience can pick and choose whatever parts of you say, that they want to listen to. If it isn't God's word, you don't have a right to demand people accept your opinions and positions. Why is your opinion different from anyone else that has an insight or theory or belief? We cannot be just another voice. We must be the voice of God. Of course, this doesn't make you popular with the other voices. That's one of the things I love about the expositional preaching because when you are preaching expositionally, you can say, you must do this. And it, it, the more I bring my opinion into the pulpit, the more I've cheapened it and lessened the effect of the pulpit. I need to be able to say, thus saith the word of the Lord, you must be born again or you shall not see the kingdom of God. You know, right. and, and so that's one, another reason I really am feeling this strong pull towards expository preaching. I love what you said about it's going to like the words that, that, <clears throat> that we preach when it's from expository preaching mixed with prayer, when it's that, when it's the word of God mixed with prayer, you know, not everybody's going to like what you have to say. It just brought me back to, cause I'm still reading. I'm trying to just read slowly the um, Ravenhill book. Yeah. He mentioned in one of the chapters uh, where he's comparing Pentecostalism or, or how Pentecost was in the first church to now. And he just says, uh, you know, he says, we are endued uh, as was Peter. And he said, under your word, brother Ananias is slain and his wife soon stiff beside him. He said, would the modern stand for that? He said, again, here is Paul smiting uh, Elemus with blindness. <laughs> in these days, that would bring a court case against any preacher. Yeah. We don't want to lose that authority, that, that, that life-changing power that comes with the word of God and prayer. We have the, I don't want to say authority, but we have the... What's the word I'm looking for? Ah, forget it. Just edit that out. I'm just speaking gibberish here, man. No, you're not. It's good. I can't. I can't oh. compete with your ranting. <laughs> I'm. I'm the master ranter. When it comes to that, I just yeah. I, <sighs> I'm trying to read more so I can get better at ranting. Okay. <laughs> trying to 
trying to solidify the the English language in <laughs> such a way that I can actually sound eloquent when I speak, <laughs> not like a stuttering Jabberwocky. No, you know, the more I've been reading about expository preaching and listening to the the great expositors talk, the more I feel like I've never preached a day in my life. Like what I do does not live up to what yeah. it should be. And uh-huh. I don't know that, I think there's some um, a level of health in that opinion that I've got to be a better preacher, not, not right. in dancing us and, 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 you know, doing the monkey dance or, or no, that's not what we do. We're not just getting up and, and doing some cheap antics. We are expounding the word of God and we have to take that seriously. And it yeah. takes work. It's, it's not easy. And a couple, I, there's a couple other quotes I had found earlier. I didn't prepare it for this. I prepared it just in my notes as I've been studying about expository preaching. Uh, somebody said, if you have preaching that is not exposition, you are just hot air. And, and this is the thing that is, just blew me away. Because when he said it, I realized he said, and you will have a church that is largely unconverted and huh. very shallow at best. And he started talking, wow. and, and one thing I guess that to some extent we have an advantage, and it also can be a disadvantage, is that we have a moment I can point to in that from an external point of view, I can say, you obeyed to get into the kingdom of God or not. We believe that salvation is at the moment of repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, that if you do those things, you're, you are converted. And I think that's an advantage because we have that definite moment, but it also is a disadvantage because sometimes... I think we then go from that moment and we never grow and we think we're still converted, but converted means changed and we never converted. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like heresy to some people that they think if, if I was baptized and I spoke in tongues and I still speak in tongues that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'm not going to say what it takes to get to heaven or that you have to be born again. Absolutely. You must be born of the water. You must be born of the spirit. Not debating that, but we right. have to be converted we have to be converted. Well, because what's the ultimate goal is to, the ultimate goal is to get them to heaven. Right. Right. And if they're not truly converted, then we run the risk of them maybe not meeting that, that ultimate goal. Yeah. And then that responsibility then falls on to us. Yeah. And I know that some people, it's so just racket, you're just blowing your brain right now. Because I did for me, it took me a long time. I was sat there and was just thinking, can someone be born again and not be converted? And I'm not 100% sure I decided, but I think your life is fruit. And if you're not changed, you're not converted. Um, now, he did go on and say, and this is what we were talking about earlier. He said, if you, on the other hand, have all exposition and no preaching, you will have a church full of deep thinkers who have no heart connection, blank-faced note-takers. And so, that's kind of what we were referring to. He said, expository preaching is not a data dump. It is not just a copy and pasted from several commentaries report. That would be teaching or lecturing. Preaching goes beyond teaching. Preaching must offer, and I like this, a fork in the road. You must choose which path you're going to go. It demands a verdict. It exhorts. It beseeches. It begs. It rebukes. It invites. It consoles, etc. Preaching is the word of God delivered with the power of God. You can't have word without power, and you can't have power without word. And I think that is so, so strong. And then somebody else went on to say, a preacher has nothing to say apart from the Word of God. And the church said amen. And the church said amen. (laughs) And with that amen, we're going to head on out of this episode. 
you want to contact us, just head on over to BehindTheBulletPodcast.com slash contact, and you'll see the different ways you can contact us there. And until next time, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.